good morning to all of our campuses and those of you joining us online. Uh, my name is Ryan Falls. If you can't remember that, my name is a sentence. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at New... Thank you. I'm one of the pastors here at New City. Um, and I'm so glad that you're here as we continue our study through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. So wherever you are, would you grab your copy of God's Word, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, whether that's in a book traditional Bible, right? You, you get it on a tablet, on a phone, however you get there, get there. Um, we're going to jump into that together. Uh, and as we do that, as we're going there, would you guys pray with me quickly? Let's pray. God, we want to hear from you this morning. This study that we're in of your church, as we see it in the pages of the New Testament, it's, it's not just a story we read from the outside. We're, we're on the inside. This is your church and we're a part of it. We're in the stream. So God, wake us up to who we are. God, would you wake us out of our slumber this morning? Many of us have been sleeping to your purposes. We've been taking a nap on you and we need to wake up and see just the great message of the gospel and have clarity around that and then what it means for us as we move forward. So help us to do that by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I've heard it said that it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Now, things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Uh, we aren't the way that we're supposed to be. There's a gap for every one of us this morning. There's a gap between the person that you ought to be and the person that you were meant to be and the person that you really are. That would be great if we could just decide on our own to change both externally and internally and be different. If we could just do that by ourselves. I mean, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, of course it would. That's why people like Tony Robbins and other people in the self-help movement, they're making money hand over fist and they're selling a transformation that comes from where? From you. You decide. But let me just ask a question for all of us this morning. Um, do you really know you? I mean, I think that sounds a little weird, and the answer is kind of confusing. It's tricky. The answer is both yes and no. You do and you don't. And here's what I know about me. Here's what I know about Ryan Falls. There is no stinking way on heaven or earth or anywhere else that I can do that on my own, and I'm pretty sure I have a sneaking suspicion that that's true of you as well. And most of us present well. We come across as these great, wonderful people uh, who have life figured out. We have it all together. And at least on the outside, that's pretty common where we live. But I'd love to share the wisdom of a 10-year-old with you this week as she was giving advice to her mother. Okay? This is what she said. She looked at her and she said, Mom, perhaps a little pastoral wisdom would be helpful here. <laughs> people aren't what they seem, Mom. People aren't what they seem. And from the mouth of a child, and as I speak it this morning, it's true. And I guess we could just walk away this morning. We could, if we prayed right now and we all left this place, we could hang our heads in shame and we could be hopeless about life. I mean, how are we going to all discover the kind of life that we're really longing for deep down? Is there a way to do that? I mean, Let's just think about some things that could be going on on all of our campuses. For those of you joining us online this morning, 
I mean, for some of us, there's a secret vice that we continue to turn to over and over again for comfort and pleasure. It's an escape. It's a way of self-medicating. It's a way of numbing ourselves to the pain that we're feeling in the world. We're trying to get out. There's a relationship that you've crossed the line with. You're outside of God's design for marriage. Maybe you're living with someone and you're not married to them and you've stepped out of God's design for human flourishing and for sexuality and maybe you are married and you're not finding intimacy in your own marriage and you're looking for it in all the wrong places. (laughs) Maybe you continue to lose your temper. It comes out sideways. You've got anger problems that come out more frequently than you'd like to admit. And I'll just make a comment here. You know, you're like me as a parent. Most of us are saving already for college. We're saving for our own retirement. We're saving for our kids' nuptials. And then on top of that, some of you, many of us, should have a 401k or an IRA or something that we've got earmarked for counseling just for our children, right? For the many years that they'll need to spend debriefing all of the ways that we screwed them up. It's almost like we need a bunch of laws. Laws about how to live so that we could know what that looks like, that we could actually follow. It's like we need someone to teach us. And I have some really good news for every single one of us this morning. I've got a teacher for you. His name's not Tony. We looked last week at what's going on in this narrative that we're in in Acts chapter 2. Heaven's breaking in to earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a Pentecost Day, 50 days after the Jews celebrated Passover, 50 days after Jesus went to the cross and hung on the cross in our place. You know what the backdrop of Pentecost is, is there's tens of thousands, thousands upon thousands coming to Jerusalem from all over the Roman world. The backdrop of Pentecost for the Jewish people is what happened 50 days after Israel was led out of Egypt on Passover. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and came down with God's law. They celebrated it. They remembered it. They were grateful for it. And to us, to you and to me, sometimes when we hear that word law, when we, when we hear Ten Commandments, it feels like God's a taker and he's not a giver. Like God wants to tell you all the things that you can't do. But for Israel, as they understood the law, as, as they related to God's law, the law was permission. It wasn't restriction. It was the ability to live and to know who they were as the people of God, to find their identity in Him, to know His way, to know His design in a good but very, very broken world. So for them, the law was everything. It was the foundation of a relationship, a relationship that they knew was only by grace through faith. It's always been by grace through faith with God, and it was for Israel. And so as they're celebrating Pentecost, we read last week that someone comes. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's a part of the eternal Godhead and he comes and he empowers the church for mission in the world and he indwells every single person who's a believer in Jesus by grace through faith. And he starts our mission, our movement on that day. Remember what happened? The disciples were speaking in different languages and they were speaking languages they didn't know to all the people groups who had come from all over the Roman world. This would be like Kanye breaking out in fluent Mandarin, uh, I'm pretty sure he doesn't speak Mandarin, and he would hit every tone and he would, he would hit every beat and it would be perfect. And the person who starts this movement has a name and his name 
is the Holy Spirit. Now, people accuse the disciples of maybe being a little tipsy. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand it. And as the dust settled from the wind of the Spirit breaking in, here's what we read that happens. Uh, Acts chapter 2, look at your Bibles with me. This is what the text says. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And here's the bottom line for all of us this morning at New City Church. The only qualification to proclaim the good news about Jesus is that you first experience it personally in your own life. Let me say that again because I want us to live in that. The only qualification to proclaim the good news of Jesus is that you first experience it personally in your own life. See, over the next 25 verses, Peter opens up his mouth and he preaches the first ever sermon. That is, he just tells people what God has done in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He shows how this was God's plan, God's story from the very beginning to the very end, and he invites every single person listening that day to enter into the story with him. But we don't need to get too far ahead here. We just need to stop for a minute. Maybe words that you'll normally roll over if you're reading this story, this passage. But let's just be spellbound by these two words. But Peter. But Peter. Now, when most of us hear this, our first thought is, duh. I mean, of course, Peter. Uh, He's qualified. He's gifted. He spent three years with Jesus. He feels like the most likely candidate to you and to me. I mean, you're probably asking yourself, Ryan, you've read the Bible, right? You've read the Gospels. You're a pastor. You, you, know, you know what happens. You went to seminary, right? Haven't you read the Gospels? I mean, when we read the Gospels, Peter always speaks first. He feels so bold. And even Jesus included Peter on what we see as his inner circle, even amongst the 12 disciples. I, I hear you. I hear you. But let's not forget what happened just a few weeks before Peter stood up. See, before Peter could stand up, you know what happened before that? He fell down. Before Peter could open his mouth, he was denying that he knew Jesus. He fell hard. Remember what Jesus said to Peter right before he went to the cross? He looked at Peter and in a very intimate moment said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you know me three times. And Peter said, no way. And Jesus said, in Greek, yes way, okay? Peter emphatically denied that he would deny Jesus, and then he emphatically denied him three times. Jesus is arrested. Peter follows at a close distance, and then conversations happen that go something like this. Someone turns to Peter, and they say, you're one of his followers, aren't you? No way. I'm not. Hey, I can tell by your accent, you're a Galilean. You were, you were with Jesus, I know you were. I'm telling you, I'm not one of his followers. I don't know the guy. I don't know him. And then standing around a fire, someone turns to him and they say, I know you're one of the disciples. And then Peter, in a moment of channeling his inner Buster Bluth, turns to the girl, rains down curses on himself, and he says, bleepity, 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 bleep. I am not one of his followers. I'm telling you. 
And just like that, it's three flat-out denials. And Jesus looks Peter in the eyes in that moment from a distance. And Peter is absolutely, he's shattered. I mean, he is shattered. He's a failure. He knows it. He blew it. But ever so kindly, as Jesus appears to his followers after the resurrection, Jesus calls Peter back. Peter went back to fishing. He went back to his boat. And there's a, a story in the Gospel of John that Jesus shows up on the shore and he calls Peter off the boat. Peter comes off the boat and Jesus has prepared breakfast around a fire. The same scene where they made eye contact after Peter denied his Lord, Savior, and friend. And three times, just like Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus asks Peter a question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And three times Jesus commissions Peter to follow him, to serve him, to love his people, to engage in his mission. As if to say, Peter, my grace is sufficient for you. That's the point of why I came. That's the point of everything. But Peter standing with the eleven. See, Peter had no business. He had no business preaching the first ever sermon. He wasn't qualified. He was a failure. And I'm right about this. I I know I am. He had no business. And guys, here's the truth. Neither do I. Neither do I. We tend to put people like Peter or maybe our pastors on a pedestal. But the truth is we're all the same. The only qualification for preaching the gospel is that you first admit and know and own the fact that you're not qualified. You don't feel like you're good enough. You don't feel like you know enough. And when you come to terms with that, then you can experience the gospel. Then you can experience the gospel. But you have to get there first. You're never going to be enough. You're never going to be enough on your own. But you were already enough to God. You were already worth it to him because of Jesus. So this can't be good news unless it's good news first to you. See, just this last week, I've shown my true colors several times in the last couple weeks, and I'm sure you probably have as well. Um, So I'll just tell you a couple of ways that I've done that. I I, I joined the club. Um, There's a club in, in this part of our city. It's a club of people who occasionally, sometimes, not always, occasionally double park. Okay, I'm in the club. If I pull into a parking lot, all, this, all the spaces I'm, I'm, I'm sure are made for compact cars these days. And if there's a car slightly over the line, I, I, don't, I don't even think about it. If there's an open space next to it, I'm just slightly over. Not, not blatantly over. It's not disgusting, but it's not great, okay? Um, I feel pretty bad about it. But I'm just tired of, I'm tired of my doors getting dinged. And I'm tired of having to get out of the car and channel my inner Gumby, you know, and get out and go... And close the door just to be out of my car. I mean, have you guys ever been to Trader Joe's at Piper Glen? Has anybody been there? Are you with me? I'm not getting any amens. I'm just getting judgment. In all of our venues and all of our campuses, this is really hard. Liz turned to me when we went to Trader Joe's and, and I did this. And she said, you know what? You are a suburban elitist. And I said, thanks. Thanks. Maybe that's a little funny, but maybe, maybe something deeper. Um, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday night, I got in bed and 
Liz was next in her space. She was already laying down, and, and I looked over, and I could just see her cheeks had been stained with tears. And I said, what's wrong? But I knew what was wrong. It wasn't her day. It wasn't work. It wasn't something external to what had gone on in our house. It, it was my words that stained those cheeks, my careless words that stained those cheeks. I'm not qualified I don't deserve to do this. I shouldn't be here. You know what? Neither are you. And until we embrace that, we can't embrace good news. And I'm asking you this morning with Peter. This is so simple, right? This is the first few words in our text this morning. But I'm asking you, please stand up. I'm begging you, stand up. Be the church. Be a witness. Use your voice. Your plan A. And preaching isn't a special field for those of us who have mastered the art of living and know everything there is to know about the Bible. It's part and parcel to being a witness. It's what we're called to do, to bring gospel renewal to our city and world. And I know that word preach, it feels and maybe has a connotation that's a little condescending. But we're holding a story in the highest esteem. We love the story. The story is everything. You know why? It's because it's true. It's true, especially for you. It's true, especially for me. That's why we love the story. That's why we stand up. See, Peter proclaims Jesus as Savior because first, first, he comes to profess Jesus as the Savior of his life. Let's look at the text again, starting in verse 22, just a snippet, just a little glimpse into Peter's first sermon. He says this to the crowd. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Well, you can't get much clearer than that. As Peter is preaching, he's laying out the story of Jesus. And he's telling his audience, listen, the story of Jesus is the story of the Bible. It's the story of Scripture. And it's not a story we look at from the outside in. It's a story that we're all participating in even today. The story of Jesus can and should be our story we got to know a couple of things from this text. Let's just highlight them here that Peter says to the crowd. First, Jesus was the definite plan of God. God does not. He doesn't react willy-nilly to the events of this world or to the events of even your own life. Especially if we consider that it was by his definite plan he sent his son to the cross. Jesus' destiny... His destiny in life was the most violent death anyone could ever die, and he embraced it. It was exactly what God had planned, not because he's cruel, but because he loves you and he loves me with an unfathomable love that's deeper than anything we could ever comprehend. So question some of you may be asking, so if God planned for Jesus to go to the cross, then is God responsible 
for the death of his son, the most evil thing that's ever happened in the history of our world, the most evil thing, the most heinous thing, the son of God murdered on the cross? And the answer is no. According to Peter in this message, God is not responsible for the death of Jesus. According to Peter, we are. He's speaking to a Jewish audience, but he's not attacking the Jewish nation. He's saying, it's all of us that put Jesus on that cross. Think about some of the songs that we sing as we worship together. He took my sin and my sorrow. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary, and he suffered and he died alone. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life, and I know, I know that it is finished. You see, the message of the gospel is never going to be good news to you until you first take some responsibility for what happened on the cross. It was our lust, it was our greed, it was our appetites, all of us that put Jesus there. It was our murderous hearts, our backstabbing nature, our ability to gossip very well and feel okay about it. That's what put him there. But the wonder of the Christian message is that in God's plan, he took the responsibility of making good on a life that you and I threw away. He took the responsibility for what we were responsible for. That's the gospel. That's the Christian message. We threw life away and he said to you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to redeem that life. I'm going to buy it back. And you know what the price is? It's my own blood. I'm going to buy you back with my own blood blood. He took your chains so that you could be set free. And this is amazing. The story is good news because the cross didn't have the final word. Life did. See what Peter says in this message is this is all built upon Jesus's resurrection from the dead. He really died on the cross. He was really put in a tomb. And three days later, Jesus laid death to death. He put death in its grave. He didn't stay there. So this is real. This really happened. It's a historical event, and it's real for you and me, too. That sets the trajectory of our life and our hope. We love to talk about things that are real and make statements to people around us based on true things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. This is going to be hard for many of us, okay? So just prepare yourself. After I say what I'm about to say, many of you will not like me. You won't come talk to me ever again. And, I mean, with everything I've shared this morning, it's going to be bad. Um, but I know several weeks ago, um, after the Super Bowl, someone amongst us sent Chris uh, this image that's about to come up on the screens. And he talked about Ric Flair, Chris did, and his love of wrestling. And um, this, is just, this just bothers me. Um, he talked about the real goat. Is Ric Flair the real goat? So we just need to settle this dispute because... I know for many of you, this, this has been raging in your minds. That was the main thing you took away, right? Who is the real goat? Is it Tom Brady or is it Ric Flair? Now, for those of you who don't know what a goat is, it means greatest of all time. And it's not people that we put in a petting zoo. And, and there's, a, there's a debate at hand. I'm going to have it for you. I'm going to just settle it for all of us and put the final word on the debate. Is it Ric Flair or is it Tom Brady? I know Rick has won one, one. Uh, several wrestling belts. Okay, he's won several belts, more belts than Tom, Tom Terrific Brady uh, has rings, okay? 
I just need to ask you, good people of New City, who is the greatest of all time? Is it Rick? Or is Okay. Wow. No, Tom Brady is the real GOAT. Now, parents, you, you might want to cover your children's ears right now. Um, and I, I wish that I could have this conversation with you over a cup of coffee or maybe a Red Bull, but I can't. So I'm just going to say this as gently and as compassionately as I can. Wrestling. The figure four. The breaking of chairs. Vince McMahon. It's not real. It's not real. But Tom Brady is real. He is real. And I can stand on my assertion, whether you like it or not, that he is the real goat. Okay, New City, do not be like Peter and deny it, okay? Don't do it. Just own it. So the point here, okay, there is a point. And the point is this, that you and I long to build our lives around things that we find to be true. And the foundational moment for everything that we esteem and herald as followers of Christ is resurrection. Paul says that if it didn't happen, then everything we do here, it just doesn't matter. We shouldn't even be here. But if it did, if Jesus rose from the dead, then come on guys, let's Go, let's go. And you can see that while we played the villain's role in the story, Jesus' life is the trump card. The tables get turned and life is available to you and to me. And if that's true of Peter, which it certainly was, then it's true for you too. Remember what Paul said as he wrote to the church in Galatia? He, he made this statement. He said, may I never boast, may I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. So the call at the end of the sermon, which is for every single person is to decide to enter a way of life. Decide to enter a way of life. Let's look again in the text at verse 36. Look there with me. Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Baptism and repentance. Baptism and repentance. According to this text, according to the scripture, according to the gospel, those things are a way of life. That's our response. Baptism, being immersed in water, is a public proclamation of your believing in Jesus. It's an outward picture to the whole world of an inward reality. It's something that you're saying to everyone, this is true and it's true of me. It's the first time publicly that we stand up. I I know, I know, we have people in this room and all of our 
on all of our campuses this morning who come from so many different backgrounds. Some of you did not grow up with faith at all. Some of you grew up Catholic. Some of you grew up Lutheran. Some of you grew up in, a, in an entirely different faith tradition. You weren't a part of the Christian story. You weren't a part of a local church, but you were a part of a different religious belief. And so when we hear baptism, we all think different things in our minds. We all have different backgrounds. But can I just encourage every single person to think through Jesus' call to be baptized in his name? This public proclamation of a life that's connected to him. Can I encourage you if you haven't? Can I encourage you to be baptized? I'd love for you to talk to one of our pastors or directors or staff members about it. Or even maybe the friend who brought you this morning. And then there's this other word that Peter uses, repent. Now that word sounds churchy to us, right? It sounds like a Christianese um, thing to say to people, um, and it feels very judgmental. Again, but most importantly, we need to ask, what does the word mean? Well, repentance is just turning back to God. It's just orienting our life back to God, away from our sin and toward a relationship with our Father, We turn back to him, we find that he's the one that we've always been looking for. In all of our wondering and in all of our wandering, he's the one that we really wanted. And that's the conclusion. As you experience good news, just like I do, just like Peter did, stand up. Use your voice. God's calling New City Church to do that. The question is, will you join in and be a part of this story in the city of Charlotte? We enter a life of baptism immersed in the presence of God and repentance continually turning to him him, and in the process amazing unexplainable things begin to happen in our city. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe it could happen? Because I do. Because this is the story. So those who received his word were baptized. It says this is the response. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is about people. This is our story, so let's go. Let's go to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family, and to our friends. Let's stand up, let's enter in, and let's see what God will do. Would you pray with me? God, we want to join you in this story, but we all have a lot of excuses as to why we shouldn't do that, as to why we can't do that. We, we don't feel like we know enough. We don't feel like we are enough. We're afraid of what will happen in relationships that we value and that we with people that we love. And I just pray, God, that as we continue this study and think about what it means to be a witness, that you would continue to transform us and change us by the power of your spirit, just like you did these ordinary disciples, and that something would break out in Charlotte, and that we could be a part of what you're doing as you build your church here in your city. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.